Welcome to the Business of Being Healthy, where we are passionate about treating our health as good as we treat our wealth. Shelly Bryan here, and I am obsessed with sharing real life experiences and wisdom to help save you time, heartache, and money as you continue to grow personally and professionally. Twice a week, we push aside that BS to take massive intentional action. And I promise by tuning in, you will receive the straightforward talk you've been waiting for, filled with actionable steps that will inspire you to achieve the health and wealth you desire while you are building your empire. Welcome to today's show. I am so excited for this conversation. We were literally, I mean, we're like 27 minutes past when we were supposed to start recording. That's how good this is going to be. I was, I finally was like, we have to get started. But Tanya Wilson is a force to be reckoned with when you're talking like resilience, you're talking leadership, you're talking um, the home service industry, really changing the dynamic there. Now she is the CEO Actually, she's the trailblazing CEO and the mastermind behind Priority Pumping, which is a standout septic system here in the greater Phoenix area. What I love about this and what I love about Tanya is she is, it's like dominating. She's trailblazing in a predominantly male industry. And what I love is that it doesn't stop her. The lessons, the culture that she's creating with priority pumping has, I, I mean, this conversation will be so great. But one other thing that Tanya is very passionate about is empowering women. And she has a podcast and a community called Ladies Kicking Ass. Cannot wait to talk about that as well. But I know that there's also some hard experiences in there. And those experiences are what form us as we are building our businesses, as we are leading our teams, our families, and our communities. So Tanya, I am so excited to have you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor, Shelly. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. Okay, let's dive in here. So you guys listening in, you're like priority pumping. Like what the heck? Like really you have a pumping company on the show? Let's let's like pump the brakes, right? Tanya, Give us a little bit of your background because it's not just like, oh, I did this. You have like a family history of construction. You tried to go a different way, but then you came back. Share a little bit about that. I got sucked back in. I got sucked <laughs> back in. Um, so I am originally from Wyoming. So naturally grew up with a bunch of boys, kind of rough around the edges, construction family, big time. Um, pretty much when kids graduated from school, uh, where I went to school at, everyone went to the oil rigs or someone went to work for a construction company. Um, the men anyways, um, it wasn't really talked about a whole lot when I went to high school. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? It was like, it's very small town. It was like lady stayed home. And like all of my friends had babies, like within two or three years out of high school. And that was just kind of the life that it was. But I knew that that life was not for me. So I ended up moving. I went to college in Utah, did um, have a degree in business administration and marketing. 
And I went to work for some Anheuser-Busch distributors doing marketing promotions for them. I loved marketing. I fell in love with it. I love building a brand. I love telling a brand story. Like what is behind all of that? Who is, what's the story behind a business? Like, I think it's so cool. And that's just always really stayed a passion of mine. So fast forward a few years, I meet this wonderful gentleman um, and we have a child together and we um, decide that we're going to move back to Phoenix, Arizona. We were living in Wyoming at the time. So this is my kid's dad and um, he had learned the trade of septic. And he wanted to come down here and start a septic business. And I was like, what the F? Like, you want me to leave my cushy marketing job as to a marketing for a hospital at the time to come to Phoenix, where it's hot as Hades, and you want to start a poop business? Like, what am I supposed to tell my girlfriends about this? Like, mm-hmm. I When we first moved down here, I told them that we started a plumbing company because at least that wasn't as bad as the septic systems. Because growing up in Wyoming, everybody gr- lived on a septic system. And it was like the area you stayed away from, you know? So we came down, we started a business in 2009. I had a one month old baby when we moved here. So I quit my job. I moved to a brand new city. I had a one month old baby and we started a business. Talk about a life change. The only thing we didn't have in there was a death. I think of the top five bad things that can happen. Um, So that was an adventure, um, but we worked really, really, really hard at it. And when I first got in this industry, I was like, ugh. I don't know what to do. And I think so many women get into it like this, that the man wants to go out and start a home service company because he's worked in it before. And he says, here, lady, help me build this business from the internal perspective of things. And that's kind of where I was at. I didn't know about accounting and bookkeeping other than like little things I had done in college, but I knew marketing. And this was an area in a field where there was like two websites when I moved to Phoenix And that was my background. I was like, I'm going to blow this thing up. So I, at that point, it wasn't like you could um, do a WordPress site and it just like magically appears in an afternoon. You had to learn like HTML and you had to learn how to code this thing yourself. I remember the first website I made and it had like scrolly text on it. And I thought that was so cool. I had figured out how to make motion on a website. But I built a website and we built a business and we ran it for about five years. It was a seven figure business. Until he blew it up. And by blowing it up, he was, he had title loaned off all of our pump trucks that we owned for money to buy and sell drugs with. Um, I didn't know any of this was even happening out of the back of my shop until people came and started picking up our trucks. And it was devastating because at this point I had a one-year-old little boy and I had a four-year-old little girl, five-year-old little girl. And I lost my business and I lost my husband and I lost my source of income and really the identity I had taken on with building that business. I had very much become who I was in that business and I just felt so lost. It was awful. I took the summer and just spent some time with my kids and regrouped. Um, I did some consulting work and paid off a shit ton of debt that my husband had left with that business. He skipped town, still don't know where he is to this day. Um, And apparently because you're the responsible human, you now become legally financially responsible for paying back all the debts that they owed. Because in Arizona, if you're married, then it's a Mm -hmm. co-debt. So that was fun. 
but I learned a lot of things. And honestly, it was one of the biggest gifts that has ever happened to me, because if that wouldn't have happened to me, I wouldn't be the woman that I am today. Um, you don't know how strong you really can be until your back's up against the corner and you have to support two little kids all on your own. I lived in a town where I didn't have any family here. So if I needed someone to watch my kids, I had to pay for somebody to do that, which without a job, is not an easy thing to do. So I just got scrappy and I started doing some consulting work for um, other small companies. A gentleman that used to work for my septic company actually wanted to start a new septic company. So I helped him start that. Um, I worked with him for that for about a year. And then I started priority pumping uh, with a couple of partners. Two years in, I bought them out. So I have owned the business myself since 2020. And we're thriving. We're in year seven now. We're just rocking and rolling. There's so much opportunity in the Phoenix metro area in this in this industry that a lot of people think there's septic in the city still. Yes, a lot of it. But we also do commercial wastewater too. So every restaurant in town has a grease trap. Those have to be pumped just like septic tanks do. So there's a ton of opportunity for stuff here. But what's most important to me is building a culture where people in the trades industry want to come and work. It's mm -hmm. so very important to me that when people come to work for me, you become part of my family. You really do. And I don't take that lightly. Um, I think it's really important for people to feel appreciated. And I think that you get a lot more out of people that come to work for you when they feel like they're part of what you're building and you incorporate them that way. My biggest thing that I've always worked towards in my business is building a business so strong no one knows who the owner is. And I take great pride when my guys in the field are asked if they're the owner of the business because we let them in on everything that we're doing here. I'm not intimidated and in thinking that they're going to run away and try to steal all my trade secrets and do all this stuff. They're treated really well here and they're part of a family. And I think that's a really important thing to do and something that's a little different than what has typically been handled in the home service industry. So I really love what I get to do every day. About 80% of the people that call my office are actually females. Mm -hmm. They're not guys calling and checking on their septic systems. And it's even women with the commercial side of things that are calling to get grease traps pumped out. They don't know what they need. They're calling and they need education. So our business was really built off of that. How can I educate these people so that they understand the services that they need and they're getting the proper services? Because being in this industry for 15 years, it's it's scammy. And that I think is just as a whole kind of a view on home service sometimes that they think they're being taken advantage of or you're too expensive or like we can dive into that all over the place. But I oh, want to make sure that we're providing an outstanding service that any woman I and I tell my guys to go out in the field, you're always going out to your mama's house. So treat them that way, you know, treat them mm -hmm. just as you would want someone to treat your mom when they come out to help her with that stuff or people that call in on the phone too, that we always treat them with the highest level of respect and that we get them what they need without overselling or upselling them on a bunch of stuff that they don't, which is yeah. traditionally kind of that bad stigma that comes around home service. So I think it's just really important that we encourage more women to be in the home service industry, which is where ladies kick and ask came from. Uh, because we want to before, be able before we go there, Tanya, because I love, I really yeah. want to dive in. There was so much there that I just want to take a second because 
you're sharing a lot. And I, I hope everyone's catching all of this. There are so many little nuances and we're going to dive in before we get to ladies kick and ass, because I think that is a whole nother thing with community, but with oh. what, what thing that you said, and I think it stems back to when you were growing up and everybody went and either, you know, the ladies had babies early, like right after high school, the men all went to either like the oil or the construction industries. And you were like, that's not me. And you went to college and then you came down here with your, with your first husband and, and started the business and your identity. This is the word that you used. Your identity was not poop. Let's just say it. Okay. And so it, I want to just talk about that kind of identity shift because it seems like it's been happening for quite some time from being, you know, part of this construction family. That was like your identity to like, that's not me to then going into college, then, you know, coming down here, starting a business in an industry that you were like, that's not me again, not my identity. Let's talk about that for a second, a little bit, because I can tell you, and I know that my listeners are here too, is that we've had different identities in our life. And sometimes those identities help us, but oftentimes those identities can hurt us because they prevent us from seeing opportunities because we're like, we don't associate. That's not our identity at the time. So Tanya, after kind of hearing that, because that was, that really stuck out. Take me through kind of your identity shifts and and maybe some things that you realized along the way. I think we grasp to identities where we feel like we're excelling at. And what I mean by that is like when you're having like when you have a new baby and you're like, I'm a mom and you refer to yourself as a mom all the time. Um I think you take on that identity and that becomes like who you feel like you are mm -hmm. because it's almost like a security thing that we hold on to ourselves is like, if I identify myself as a mom, then I'm telling myself all the time that I care about being a mom. I care about these kids, you know, like I took on this identity with the septic company. I became obsessed with my first septic company. Like I didn't want to hire anybody. Like I was so obsessed about growing this business and seeing what it was. And to me at first growing that business, even though I was a mom at that time, like I very much identified with that business even more so than a mom, because I was so obsessed about the business. So I think it's really like your identity is where your, your biggest focus is going to. Mm -hmm. And just like you say, your identity shifts over the time. Identities do shift over time because your focus shifts over time. Right now, I'm the sole owner of my company and I am not as obsessed with my company about that. I'm very obsessed. Like my kids are getting older now and I'm so glad that I have help and support at my business now that I don't have to be in it as much as I used to be. And so my obsession, a lot of times, like I'll be like, I'm a mom, I'm a this my mom is always the first thing because I love that my focus is focused on my kids so much right now. 
So I think it is very interesting that your identity shifts with where your focus goes. Like Tony Robbins always says, where energy flows, focus goes, you know, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that's very true. And I think it can be very tricky when we put our identity in something that can be taking away from us. I don't think it's great to really identify yourself as just a mom or this entrepreneur or this business owner, because just like when I lost my first business, I was so freaking lost. I didn't know who I was anymore because my identity was in a place where it completely got taken away from me and I didn't know who I was anymore. So that is something I focus on really hard now is that my identity is who am I at my core, not what I do and who I am to other people. So you guys know this is a newer podcast and I'm not running any ads at this time. I don't have any sponsorships yet. I'm not trying to sell you guys anything either, but literally I just want to give you the tools and the knowledge from either my past experience or those of my guests to save you time, money, and heartache. So the only ask I could ever have from you is to help me spread the word out there to more entrepreneurs and more career-driven professionals like us so that we can feel more confident, perform better for our teams and our clients, and ultimately make more money to provide for our families. And the only way that we can do that is if we rate and review and share this podcast. So the single ask that I have of you is that if you could leave a review, share it with a friend, it should take less than 10 seconds. And I know your time is valuable, but it would absolutely mean the world to me. And more importantly, it might change the life for someone else. Okay. So that, that's what I was thinking. And the fact that you went there, this is something that I think is, is so important. And when we're younger, we all fall into this trap, Tanya, of like Mm -hmm. success, right? Accolades, achievements. Those are our identities. For me, horses, horses were an identity for me, right? They were, they were an identity because it was unique and I could compete and do all these things. And it was so hard for me to break away from that identity. That those things that we do, like you said, that business, I I could only imagine I've been in a similar situation. I know some of our listeners have too, where you've been so tied to something and maybe it failed or maybe your husband was selling drugs out of the back and everything got taken from you. Like things, you have no idea what could happen, but when you're so tied to that one thing, you actually lose your identity, which is you. Yeah. And if you think if you have a business and it fails or like a lot of people are like, I'm a wife and then they end up getting divorced, like just for an example, I've been through there that before, too. And it was. Like, you don't know who like now what do I identify with? It was completely pulled out from underneath you. And so I have really like, that is such an energy shift as you get older, understanding I'm okay with just being me. I don't have to attach my value to a title an accolade an achievement, a business, because when that marriage failed and that business failed, I now look at myself as a failure and I'm not a failure. Failure is an event that business failed, that marriage failed, but that doesn't make me a failure. So that is something I think that we have to be very careful of when we are taking on identities. And as entrepreneurs, we're really good at this of like, Mm. 
taking on the identity of a, of our business. But if that fails, or even moms that have kids that maybe get hooked on drugs or, you know, something happens with that and they blame themselves for being a bad parent or a failure, you're not a failure. It was an event that failed. And I think when we can pull our identity out of that and not attach it that way, then we stop looking and fearing the failure because failure is not an endpoint. Failure is a feedback mm-hmm. of what happened. I've failed at so much shit. It's absolutely insane. And now I know better how not to do that, <laughs> you know? And it's not if, it's when. You know, we take this away from our kids too. Like, we don't want you to fail. We're going to help you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. If your kids aren't failing at anything, they're going to become adults. And then they're going to think that they're the failure. And we don't want that to happen. Or when they fail, they can't pick themselves back up again. Right. Whether it's your kids. The resiliency needs to be there. It has to be there. Right. And, you know, one thing that I I just want to touch on before we change subject is that and and I see it, you see it on social media like crazy is that mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. I am an entrepreneur, right? And I'm like, okay, you have five businesses and you keep thinking about starting another one, but none of them have been successful. So it's like that identity is almost preventing you from going all in on one and just yeah. really focusing on being able to provide and like the bigger picture. I, I just... This is such a great topic. And, and I, I could just tell, I was like, she's got some good, good stuff behind this. So Tanya, I really appreciate you sharing that. And sure, like looking back because I, you already hit on it, but I want to touch on it one more time is looking back. If when you were so attached to your first business, Mm -hmm. what were some things that you like knew right away? Looking back now, you're like, oh, that was a sign. Oh, that was a sign. Oh, that was a sign. Like, how could we help someone that might be like thinking, holy cow, I put too much of my identity into this thing I'm doing, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, One of the biggest things I would say with that is that if you feel guilty doing anything other than working on your business, you got a problem. Mm. And this is something still to this day I struggle with. And I think once you've wrapped yourself up in a business so tight that way that you feel guilty for spending time with your kids, for going to the gym to exercise or should take a a walk around the block or, you know, going on vacation, you've, you've got to reassess some things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Another thing with that too, is that if you have so much on your plate with your business that you never feel confident at the end of the day that you did a good job and that you accomplished things and that you're going to be okay. Like what I mean by that is many times I would go home and I can still get into phases of this now where I am packing up pretty much my whole freaking office to take it home to work on it all there, you know, after the kids go to bed and after I do all this. But the reality is, is when I do that, I don't wait till the kids go to bed. I pull that crap out as soon as I get home and then dinner's late for everybody. And then I'm up till one o'clock in the morning working on it and packing it all back up and bringing it back the next day. So really when you've got too much on your plate and when you never feel satisfied with your day or you feel guilty about doing anything else, you've got to start looking at what you do. 
And my business coach gave me some great advice. And she said, sit down for one day. And every time you switch tasks, I want you to write down what you're doing. She's like, I know it's going to be super annoying, but just do it for one day. And when I sit down, I very much am like 80 D or whatever it is. Like I cannot focus for a long period of time to save my life. I'm like on a zoom call and then I'm buying shit from Amazon. (laughs) Like it's, I have to really sit and focus. I have to like close my door, like get rid of distractions, but like sitting down and writing down everything during the day, I'm like, what am I doing? Cause nobody is ever going to be able to do great things, focusing on 50 things. Just like the example you give about, you have five different businesses. I had three at one point and I was like, which one's getting shut down because I can't do this anymore. Mentally, we talk about all this mental health and we're so stressed and our health is, is suffering from this. We've had that conversation before, you know, at what point do you look at all of this stuff? And people say as entrepreneurs, I can't afford for someone to do this for me, but what is it costing you for you to continue doing it yourself? And I think that we don't talk about that enough, that we don't talk about what it costs us in order to save us money inside of our business. Mm -hmm. So those are my big three things, you know, of when you are, you're headed to burnout big time if you keep trying to do that. I, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And I think that that's going to resonate with someone today. Like that is what is so important is to be able to like start recognizing it and, you know, sharing these stories, right? Like I know if, if anyone has been tuning into the show here, I share all the stories, the good, the bad, the everything, because like, I hope it helps someone faster than I got, than I got the lesson, you know? So yeah. it's like, I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, this is a great kind of transition over to, we were talking about before we jumped on here live is doing like hiring your team, building your culture, all of that. And obviously when you feel like you're so tied to your business in your example that you cannot walk away from it and you're bringing it home, you're bringing all of your business home to your family. When you think about it is Mm -hmm. bringing on that first employee. How did you figure that out? What did you do? Because you have a service-based industry. Like this isn't like, oh, I can hire a VA to send out all of these things. Like, no, you need a physical person that is qualified to run machinery, has a good driver's license, right? Like all these different things. How did you figure out which person to hire first? So my business really has two facets to it. And there is definitely the field people to hire, Mm -hmm. which has been exceedingly difficult to hire for. And I'm not the only person in the home service business or industry that will tell you that. Everyone in the home service industry will tell you that. What used to be super amazing, fail-proof hiring tactics, you can offer them $50 an hour and full benefits and people still don't want to show up to work. Um, I think it's a, it has definitely changed a lot since COVID and I'm not quite sure what that whole thing is. I know a lot of people like to talk and be like, oh, it was the government and the free money. I'm like, that's not what the problem is. I think people learned how to be able to make money in other ways during that time. Um, So it has been increasingly difficult to hire for in that part of my business. It is very much attitude. Because if you have a great attitude, I can train you how to do anything. Mm -hmm. 
If you have a crappy attitude, you will kill my business. And you are a representation of who I am every time you knock on a customer's door and show up to do a service. And so I hire for attitude over what their skill set is all day long because I can teach them how to do that. Um, With that one, it's a little more technical because they need to have a CDL, which is a commercial driver's license, to be able to drive my big pump trucks. Um, So it can be a little bit difficult to find that. But you just have to be picky and not be hiring out of desperation because the turnover will kick your butt. (laughs) Hard lesson learned the last couple of years. Slow to hire, fast to fire. That's my biggest piece of advice there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in my office, it's really been hiring people I like to work with. And that might sound like kind of shallow, but it is honest. If you have people in your office that are really stuffy or they're not great with people on the phone or they don't take feedback well, or they're just not fun people to work with that you're working with every day. I don't want, I don't want to come into my office. I want my office to be a fun atmosphere where everybody gets along great. Again, attitude is everything, but really finding personalities that mesh with what you want to build in your culture. Don't bring in a bunch of stray cats and then think, oh, I'm going to mold them into what I want them to be. Because I think that often happens with business. Like they have great skill set. I'll make them become a personable person. You can't do that. The opposite is much easier than trying to do the latter. So that has been a big thing for me too. Like, would I entrust, because I look at this business as an extension of me, Uh, before we hit record on this, we were talking about like the first babysitter you ever hire for your first child. You're like, do you have CPR? Do you know where to call? Here's 9,000 emergency phone numbers. You know, if the pacifier drops, please wash it for two minutes. Man, by baby five, you're like wiping it off on your pants and sticking it back in their mouth. You know, totally. Can you keep Mm -hmm. this baby alive for two hours so I can have some peace and quiet for a moment? You know, Mm -hmm. like it, it very much is that way when you're hiring that first hire is very difficult but very my my biggest piece of advice is hire for attitude then train them for the skills that you need them to have Mm. now I I love that because that's something I I know people can look so pretty and perfect on paper Uh, I mean Mm -hmm. I've I have absolutely fallen into this before Um, when we own the restaurant I was like oh this is perfect And then they get there and it's like kind of a facade and then they get working and you're like, what did I just do? And so it, it is, I love that you brought it up that you said it, you know, hire slowly, fire fast. Like that is such powerful advice because just like, you know, one piece of rotten fruit in a basket kills the rest really quick. So absolutely. And don't be afraid. We were talking about this too, before we hit record. I have, when my guys come to work in the field, we always make them do a ride along. And this is something that I learned from listening to Tommy Mello with A1 Garage Shores. He always talks about like how he has them come in and do a ride along because you learn so much about that person, just having them come out in the field. You don't have to have them come do like free labor for the day. Like I pay them to come work for the day, but Mm -hmm. I want to see how they actually work out in the field. What are they going to do when they're out there? Same thing with the office. If you're hiring somebody to do that, bring them in for a test drive and see how they do stuff. Like say, Hey, can you send me an email about this? Hey, I need to look up this property. How would you go about doing this? 
even if it's stuff they don't know, you're looking to see how resourceful they are. You're looking to see how much direction and oversight you actually have to have with that person. I think a lot of times as employers, we're just like, okay, great. You got skill set and you look nice and you're pretty happy. So come on in and we'll figure it out. But try to figure out some of that beforehand because there's nothing worse than hiring like an office. If you run a lean and mean office like we do with somebody that's not resourceful and they are constantly like, well, no one told me how to do that. You're like, figure it out. And just because as entrepreneurs, we think that way, we figure out all kinds of stuff all the time. We assume everyone is like us and they're not. Mm-mm. They're really not. And so think about how much that is going to cost you to have to sit and train that person. If they're not resourceful off the bat, they're not going to be. And they're definitely not going to be when you're not there watching them. No, no. Now I'm going to take this conversation two ways, because the first one I want to ask you is, especially when it came to, let's say, just so it's kind of more broadly uh, relevant to, to all the listeners in the office. And when your previous business coach had you like take down how many tasks, like how many times you were switching tasks throughout the day, how did you figure out who your first office hire was? Was it something that freed you up? Was it something that gave you more capacity to perform in another area? Was it someone that did something that you've always wanted to do, but didn't have the time? Like, how did you figure out who that first hire was? Because I feel like in the conversations that I've had is it's always like, who do I hire first? Who, who do I hire first? And then we never hire anybody. Right. And then it's that feeling of overwhelm and dread keeps coming. And then maybe you make a bad hire because you didn't have the time. Right. And you just desperately needed somebody. So kind of take through like in the office setting, Tanya, how did you come up with your first in office hire? I love this question so much. And this is something that people don't talk about enough. When I sat down and I wrote down all of those things, my first thought, and this is normal for people, is I got to hire somebody that can do everything that I do. Mm. And if you think that way, you're going to be upset with who comes in because number one, no one is going to care about that business and spend as much time on it as you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that having that expectation right off the bat, hire somebody that can do 80% of what you do when you're doing that job. And then you can train them up from there. So that's a big thing. First and foremost, figure out what their responsibilities are going to be based upon what you have written down there. My first hire that I chose to hire was someone that was answering my phones and booking jobs. And the reason why I chose that person first is that was my biggest time disruptor during the day. I could never set a schedule of what I needed to get done because what I got done that day depended upon the call volume that was coming into my service business, which you got to take those calls. But if you're taking calls all day long and it's a crazy phone day, you didn't get anything else done. So which part of this can I do the most easiest is getting somebody that can come in, answer the phones, book the calls, educate the customers. I can teach them. And as we get slower time, I worked hand in hand with them to where they could take on some of the other tasks too, that would help me when the phones weren't as busy, but it was someone first that took the biggest distractions from me. I would say the second way to look at that is what part of your business do you hate doing the most that you avoid doing? Because we all do it. Like for me, it's accounting, financial stuff. 
I hate it. <laughs> I I want to love it. I keep trying to teach myself. I make all these pretty sheets. I got all kinds of stuff going on. I am educating myself on it, but it's not a place where I want to spend my time. But there are people that love it. So that's my next hire that we were just talking about before we hit record here. I know what I need to do because this takes up so much of my time because I don't enjoy doing it. I could do marketing all day long for 15 hours a day and love every second of it. I spend four hours in my financials or accounting and I'm off by a penny and I lose my mind. And so that's where you have to look. Secondly is after disruptors, what don't you love doing and find someone that can do that. And if you are going to hire it out, make sure that you work with someone that you can get references with and someone that works in an industry like yours. Bookkeeping has been one of those terrible things for me. I've been through like two bookkeepers a year because no one seems, they just like throw the numbers in somewhere where it matters. And then when I look at my financial reports, I'm like, none of this makes sense. Like my marketing is now in my cost of goods sold, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you know what you're getting. So make sure that there's oversight if you are hiring it out and it's not an internal person that is doing those things for you. You know, there's two parts that I really love for, for this is that you found your bottleneck, right? Like, mm -hmm. while I'm sure it was pretty fulfilling and felt good being a business owner, like answering the, Oh, another client another client, like that felt good for you. It was still a bottleneck. And so yeah. you knew in order to have any type of a schedule for you to work on the business, you had to remove that, which I'm sure was kind of hard because again, it's like, yay, another customer. Like it's so exciting, especially when you're building this business. So I love that you found the bottleneck and you were like, okay, I don't want to give this away, but this is the thing that is going to free up my capacity in other areas. So I love that. And then secondarily, I swear in, in my experience in, in corporate, which was gosh, eight, almost 18 years, everyone always wanted to focus on what you weren't good at and try to make it better. And mm -hmm. I always looked at it and I'm like, why I am not good at this. I don't want to do, I this is not my area of expertise. This is not where I shine. This is not where I'm going to make the business the most money. And so yeah. it's like, everyone always wants to work on your weakness. It's your weakness is just, it's like a, a firework saying, Hey, replace this. You don't want to do this. That is okay. You don't have to be a business owner. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to do these things. And also like accounting, most people don't. Yeah. Right. And so I yeah. love that you're, it was like these two very deciding factors. And I, and I hope everyone listening in kind of takes that because it is hard making that first hire, but now, I mean, Tanya, you just gave us two ways to really look at it. And I love that. Yes. Don't be afraid to, when you're hiring, if you end up just like hiring out, like say you hire a bookkeeper, or I see this a lot in the home service industry is they hire out like their AdWords or their marketing stuff, SEO, stuff like that. People don't know enough. The entrepreneur is the business owner. That's what I mean by people don't know enough about it, that they don't know what questions to ask or that they feel dumb asking questions. You ask so many questions like that you're driving them crazy almost. Mm -hmm. If someone, if I were to hire someone for SEO, I would drive them nuts. If they're not good at SEO, they're not going to want to work with me because I know about it enough that I can do it myself. I just don't want to. 
-hmm. or I need to free up some time so I can work on my business instead of in it all the time. So those things that are so time consuming, the bookkeeping, the, you know, the SEO is very time consuming. Um, Make sure that you're asking good questions and make sure you are getting reporting back from the people that are doing this with you and that you sit down and really look at it because people will hire out from their business or hire people to work in their business. And then they think, well, I hired them. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And then that's when they find out they've been stolen from and they're going to jail for tax fraud from people stealing money. And, you know, like you hear all of these scary things that happen. And it's truly just because we think, well, we don't have to deal with it anymore. But as the owner of the business, you always have to deal with everything. So that has to be, it ultimately always comes back on you. So making those smart hires when you sub it out, or if you bring people into your team, that there's great oversight on those things. Because if calls aren't getting booked, that still comes back on me. You know, if the guys aren't finishing the jobs out in the field, that comes back on me. You know, if permits are bad, that comes back on me. Even though I'm not in charge of any of those three things, it ultimately always comes back on me. So make sure that you just have that oversight. That's one of the most important expensive lessons I have learned as a business owner. Mm, I'm going to second that. I mean, I can't tell you enough, especially you know, we're in the construction side, we're on the commercial, as you know, and it's like all of the subcontractors, even though they don't directly work for us, right. They're a reflection of us. And so having those mm-hmm. meetings, having the follow through, having the cleanliness, having just the highest quality of work. Yeah. We could say as GCs like, oh, well, that's the sub. That's not us. No, it's us. At the end of the day, everything that happens on that job site is us. And so when you think about that from hiring out, and I love that you even talked about that, you don't always have to hire an employee. You can find Mm -hmm. a fractional person, like a a fractional CFO, a fractional marketing. You can hire these, but you still have to monitor it. The buck still stops with you at the end of the day as the business owner. Now, I love, like you can hear Tanya's passion. I know. I can too. And I know that we could like riff forever because there's so much goodness here in, in different experiences, but I really want to talk a little bit about, and maybe you could even like share on ladies kicking ass, creating community, because especially in the home service industry, we already touched on, it is not, I, I would say not female dominated. And even if it isn't, it's a lot of like cutthroat. Like I got to get this business or I got to get that business. And regardless, female, male, it's like competitors rather than collaborations. So how did it come about with creating this community? Well, I love that you say that because that's like our motto was collaboration over competition. And that's something that has not been discussed or even brought up in the home service industry. It's always like, who can do it cheaper? Well, I can get it cheaper. I'm sure you hear that all the time. Every day somebody calls to my office and says, well, I can get that cheaper. Can you match their price? I don't match prices because what my business does is very different than what this other company does for you. And you're not comparing apples to apples. And so just because I am a septic pumper and someone else is a septic pumper doesn't mean that we're doing the same job. Mm -hmm. That's why I love what we do is because I know that we're delivering a superior service to that person 
and I'm going to charge accordingly for that. And I think in the home service industry, it's really seeing like putting your blinders on and realizing the only competition that you have is who you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because there's always going to be somebody bigger, faster, you know, doing more things than you are. But how do I personally get better? Because if you're totally focusing on both directions, you're going to freaking crash and burn because you're always trying to keep up with what everybody else is doing. If you're getting clients coming in, just figure out how to make that better, a better experience going the extra mile. So that's a huge thing. And that's really what led into ladies kicking ass. I needed some people, some women to collaborate with. Uh, When I got into this industry, like I said at the beginning, it was like um, husbands, a lot of the times will get into this industry. They bring their wife in and say, Kate, build me a website. Can you set up my books? Can you take the phone calls? Can you send out invoices? Can you pay these bills? And then they kind of get drug into this business. This is the most typical scenario that I see with this. And they don't know who to ask, how to set this up, what they're doing, how they're doing this. They get, they're the people that get scammed on the people that say, I promise I'll make you number one on Google and just pay me $7,000. And they're like, okay. And then, you know, they never end up that way because they didn't do anything to get them there. Mm -hmm. I wanted to provide a community and I needed this myself where it was women that we could talk about the things that we struggle with. I think we're best positioned to help who we were five, maybe even 10 years ago. And I'm a really big fan of giving back to people. So how can I find a community of women that are in the trades or even just service industry that we can talk about things like this? Like I can sit down with you, Shelly, and we can talk about the hiring issues. We can talk about issues with subs. We can talk about, you know, things that I'm not going to be able to talk about with my hairstylist Mm -hmm. friend. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just different. It's a different climate. And there's not, I think there's a lot of organizations uh, for men out there that are in the home service industry, but I wasn't finding it with women. And that is where ladies kicking ass came up. Kicking ass has always been like one of my favorite expressions always because um, I find it very fascinating because you can be kicking ass on all kinds of things. Sometimes it's taking a break. Sometimes it's really putting the pedal to the metal and really excelling your business growth. Sometimes it's just being a mom and you're kicking ass doing that, or you're a kick-ass example to other people around you. So I love just the, the energy and the atmosphere around that. I truly know that when you are in a male dominated industry, you need to have a group of women that you can collaborate with. And I say that because many times I walk into the room, I'm the only woman that's in there. It's different. Mm -hmm. When I walk into a room with women, just like the room we were just in at the luncheon, everyone's welcoming. What do you do? You're in this room with other women that are achieving. Now, the caveat to that that I would throw in is make sure that you're getting into the right rooms of women, because we've all been in rooms with women where it's this catty dog eat dog type of like, well, who does she think she is, you know, Mm -hmm. or um, the competition 
over the collaboration. And if you find yourself in a circle of people like that or in a room of women like that, excuse yourself and keep looking. Oftentimes I think women get jaded that they walk into so many rooms that are like that, that they're just put the put their hand up or build a wall that says, eh, I don't need to have lady friends because this is my experience with them. And I say that because that was my experience with it. So the whole premise behind Ladies Kicking Ass is creating a warm atmosphere where women of all skill levels, all business, entrepreneurial levels can come in and they can seek help and they can also collaborate with people that are doing the same kinds of things that they are. I really love that. And it's so true. I mean, it's it's funny because while oftentimes we say like, yeah, women, it's very catty and very competitive. It's really that anywhere. Like it, it's, it's, yeah. we talk about it more as women, right. And we seek community more than men, because even if they're like in competition, they're still men hanging out together. Like it's, it, this happens anywhere. And as you were just sharing, it's funny because I had an experience and I want to share this because there was a time here in Scottsdale, in greater, you know, Maricopa County, this area, there are so many different communities that you can be a part of. And mm -hmm. I love that you said, like, go into a community. If you don't like it, like, doesn't fit, step away. I want to take it even a step further because there was one community in town that I went to, oh gosh, maybe 18 months ago. And I went to a meeting and I felt so out of place. I felt so out of place. I felt like I didn't fit in. And it wasn't what they did. It was me. It was all me. I was like, I don't fit in here. And I stepped away. I didn't join. It was like my one free meeting, what have you. I then continued to work on myself. And what I mean by that is like grow, heal some past like issues that I had when it came to business, identity, worthiness, these different things. And I went back to that same group and it was an entirely different experience. So I love you said that one of these things is like, I, I love that you said like, you got to get in the right room. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And there are rooms here in the Valley that I walked in and I was like, not for me, I'm out. Right. But this room, there was something different. And so when you feel that you got to listen to that and it wasn't the room, it was me. I had to go do the work. And then I came back six months later and now I've been a member of this group for a year. And I cannot tell you the amount of relationships, the amount of people that I have not only collaborated with, but I can now call my friend. And being in my forties, making friends is like the hardest thing in the whole world. But I had to go do the work on me. And that's something that and I'm still, we still are all the time. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm 43. I'm fixed. No, I'm holy cow. There's still so much. Right. And there's so much that I want to do. And with our business that I'm like, I can't think that big yet. So like being in these rooms helps me think big, helps me know what to go work on. And so I think that there's two parts to it. It's like get in the room, but if you don't fit, like you'll know some, you'll know right away. Some, I, I was like, and I'm out. Nope, not for me. That's yep. fine. That's for them. But then there's others. I was like, there's something in this room, but I don't fit right now. And it was me. It mm -hmm. wasn't the room. So I just encourage you sometimes. It's scary to go in those rooms. I get it. But when it's a room and you see these people and you're like, what is going on here? 
I would just say, turn the attention back to yourself. Yes. If you are interested in what's going in the room, but you don't understand it, keep, keep going, keep exploring that. Mm-hmm. Keep trying to figure it out. I think as entrepreneurs too, and I, I found myself in this many times is we are most comfortable when we are the leader in the room. Mm-hmm. And so when you walk into a room, I went to a mastermind in February and it, it was this example. Exactly. I walked in there and I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in here. Like, I have nothing to contribute to these women. They were like coaches and just like beautiful, like beautifully dressed and styled women. I had like a t-shirt and jeans on in my like bands, you know, Yeah, that's, that's how I dress. You know, it was so intimidating for me to walk in there. And I realized after the first day of being in there, I actually got sat next to somebody that we had a great conversation back and forth with each other. And we both felt that way. And even walking into that room with the physical intimidation that was in there, because I've always been that girl too, that was like, I, I'm a guy's girl. I just have a lot of guy friends. That's how I grew up. And so I had kind of this wariness around women. After going into that room, I realized I need to heal my own Mm. thoughts about what it means to have a girlfriend, because I've had the same girlfriends since college that I've just kept forever. And then it was an excuse that I made for myself of, I don't have time to have friends because I'm a mom or I have a business or I have all these other things going on. You need your girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And if you can do girlfriends that you're doing business with, if that's where your interest is, like that's my biggest interest in the world now. And I'm so thankful that we were introduced, Shelley's, because we're in the same kind of industry. Mm -hmm. We are building businesses I can have a girlfriend now that is in business that we can talk about business or we can just talk about, you know, girlfriend type things. And that's so incredibly important that you've realized that you can put those things together. And mm-hmm. if you, you don't need to separate all these little pieces of your life all the time. And I think as we get older, like we don't really think about that or give them permission to be like, the, these friends don't really fit where I'm at in my life anymore. I still love them. I love them from afar. I see them once or twice a year, but my daily and my weekly interactions with people are people that are consistently contributing and I'm contributing to their lives to help grow towards the goals that they're working towards. Mm-hmm. And I think we can often get stuck in this pattern of like, these are just my friends. And then we feel like, how come they don't want to come with us? How come they're not doing things? How come they're not doing this? You got to keep looking for those friends that will help you be able to become the person that you want to be. I love to be in a room where I'm intimidated as hell. And I would never have done that a year ago. But those are the rooms that are going to make me grow the most. Oh my gosh. Heck yes. Heck yeah. And and that, that feeling, right, where you're intimidated. Like that's Mm -hmm. where you got to do that self-reflection. And that's been the biggest growth for me is when I'm like in a room, I'm like, what is it about this room where I feel intimidated? You know, is it the knowledge? Is it the experience? And part of it is like, if it is knowledge or experience, I'm like, I almost give myself like, I can get that. That's like, you know, what we were talking about with hiring. You hire for like personality, for resourcefulness, for stuff like that. The skill you can always train or get, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't have that. So like, I know I possess these things and I walk into this room, I feel super intimidated, but I'm like, all right, what's separating me from where they are? What can I 
not only add to them, but what can I learn so that I can be the next person, you know, to, yeah. to grow up or to, to evolve into. And I just, I love, 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 love going in those rooms with you. Like I'm with yes, you with those that. Those people are there to network too. They want mm-hmm. you to ask them questions. I love it when people ask me questions about starting a business or what should I do with this? Like, I want to give that information out. I give it to people whether they want it or not sometimes I feel like, but I love it when people ask me those questions. People that are in that room where you feel intimidated are there to help. Mm -hmm. They are there to guide you through things. People, they had people, once you get to higher levels, you realize how much people want to help you succeed. People at higher levels love to see other people succeed. And by you just taking a chance and asking a question to somebody that scares the crap out of you will be one of the most incredible things that you can do for yourself. Even if it's something as simple, like with my podcast, it's like, that's a big ask. I don't know if they'll be on my podcast. I'm going to ask them anyways. And then they say yes. And Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my gosh. You know, you now have, I think it's one of the best ways to really start building a lot of self-confidence in business and make you stronger in your mindset is not being afraid to ask for help or ask for guidance. And I, it will get you there so much faster. You listen to anybody that's got a really successful, especially home service company. Tommy Mello is one of those that I listen to a lot. His podcast is excellent. He asks so many people questions and so many people that you're like, how did you figure this out? I just asked people, people want to help you. And if they tell you no, then brush them off and find somebody else. That what that person wasn't meant to help you. You know, there's something that you're not supposed oh, to yeah. take from that person. And I can't, I'm just going to like reiterate that. That's the one thing when I get asked being interviewed on other podcasts, I'm always like, I wish I would have helped. I, I wish I would have asked for help sooner. You know, I always looked at that as being a sign of weakness. And when you Me get too. in the right room, right? With people that want to support you, not pull you down when you're doing better than, but then help push you up to the same level they are. Asking for help is, is a complete sign of strength. And, and I'm with you that it's like the more, when people ask questions, I'm like, hell yeah, let me shave like, uh, quite a few hundred thousand dollars off your learning curve and about five years. Here's what I would have done differently. Go. Like, I love those conversations. It is so powerful to share that. So I really, really love that. Well, Tanya, this, this conversation, um, I think we might have to have like a round two coming up because this conversation was so good and we we scratched the surface, you know, I feel like there's so much when it comes to identity, especially, um, you know, being business owners, moms, wives, just contributing members to our industry, right? There's so much mm-hmm. that comes with that identity. And, and it's a lot that we have to work through. There is, I still am working through it, right? To being able to grace. lead grace. Yes. And, and lead teams and build teams to, to talking about that and then creating the communities to help us all succeed. I mean, this conversation was so fantastic. I really hope that I know I got a lot from it. I hope that you did too, Tanya, but oh, yeah. I know people are going to want to continue to follow along and be part of ladies kicking ass. 
How, what is the best way for people to find you? Sure. Um, my favorite place is on Instagram and you can find us at ladies kicking ass. There's all kinds of stuff going on on there. We have lots of cool things that are coming up. We're starting up our happy hours again, um, in November, if you're local to the Phoenix area, um, those are going to be starting up in November. Uh, we talk about those a lot on the podcast, which I would also love for you to check out. It's also called ladies kicking ass. And if you're a woman that's in a service-based business too, um, I love to share stories and have really raw conversations just like this, because we just have to keep talking about this stuff. So people do not feel isolated and feel alone because obviously we're all going through the same thing. A hundred percent. And, and sometimes just knowing that you're not alone is the piece is the missing piece that you need to excel. Like sometimes just being you're not like, crazy. <laughs> you're just first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, before we close out here, Tanya, I always love to ask, and, and it's kind of that pay it forward. If you were starting over again, right. For a third time now in the, in the home-based service industry or just service industry, what's one piece of advice you would have given yourself right now, starting over? Ask for help earlier. Ask for help. That when you said that earlier about how you thought it was a sign of weakness, that has, I have learned in the last year of a lot of personal development work that has been my bottleneck for my life is not asking for more help. When my situation happened with my kid's dad just taken off and leaving and I was a single mom and yeah, I'm remarried now, but I'm still a single mom. I'm still responsible a hundred percent for these babies by myself, you know? Like when you wear busy as a badge of honor and you think that everything is dependent on you, no one puts more pressure on you than you. And so asking for help, people want to help you, especially if you have a team at work, ask them to help you with things. If you've got family members, ask them to help you with things. If you've got kids at home and they're on fall break, like mine are, ask for help, you know, <laughs> like it just really will save a lot of stress and burnout and you feeling like you're the crazy one. If you don't try to do everything yourself and you get comfortable with asking for help and realizing that it really is a strength, not a weakness. So very true. So very true. And with that, I'm going to say, I know Tanya would agree with this. If, if you guys need help or have questions, shoot us DMs. We'll more than glad help Absolutely. you and um, get you moving along. Well, thank you again so much for joining and thank you all for tuning in. If you found value in this, which I know you did, and value simply means it made you think differently or it solved a problem for you that you were maybe working through know that you probably have a friend that is in that same situation. And by sharing this, you become the hero. So, you know, in podcasting, maybe you don't, but sharing, getting the word out is incredibly powerful. So share and uh, let's definitely help each other. Until next time.